0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning. Uh, hey, yeah, yeah, there we go. Um... Praise God, it's been, a, it's been a beautiful weekend, hopefully you guys have enjoyed it, hopefully you've gotten out and, and uh, been able to have some fun, um, and just share with you, we, I, I don't know about you, but it's been a good weekend for me, uh, we just celebrated, my wife and I just celebrated our anniversary yesterday, so uh, yeah, I didn't even tell you the best, I mean 17 years, some of you are like, wow, did you get married when you were five, yes, it was close, um, but yeah, praise God, it's, uh, yeah. Have, a, have an incredible wife, and uh, we're just celebrating. So, but this morning, as, as Stan said earlier, we're going to do something just a little bit different. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Luke. We're looking at Luke chapter 4. And if you don't have Bibles, we would love to, would love to get one in your hand. We have Bibles uh, at Info Central when you, when you first walk in. We've got some free ones we'd love to give you. Um, so, yeah, just, just be aware. But Luke chapter 4 is where we're at this morning. And, and usually, as Stan said, usually what we do is we just walk through um, a book of the Bible. And we take it week by week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Because we, we do, we, we, want to, um, we want to see who God is through his word. We believe that's how he primarily speaks to his people, and so that's what we do. But this morning, we're, we're taking, a, taking a break uh, from, from going through Genesis, and we're going to start Titus next week, and then we're going into Ruth, so that's going to be a lot of fun. But this week, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at the question of why, primarily why missions? Why missions? And, and where, this, where this is kind of coming out of is because as a young church, we 're not even three years old, right? Um, as a young church we're we're we want to be about sending people out. We don't, uh, we're reading this book right now called uh, Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. It's a fantastic book. We have extra copies. If you're like, hey, I want to know what my, my uh, leadership is reading, we would love to put one in your hands. Um, and and one of the things that J.D. Greer says in this book is that as a church, you need to be just as concerned with sending capacity as seating capacity. And and. Uh, in, in the life of our young church, we will have, uh, after this week, we will have sent out 44 people um, in, in overseas uh, missions trips and uh, long-term, short-term. Two of those, two of those people, they're going to be actually back next week, as Stan said. They, they are they're going to Southeast Asia, and they're saying, hey, we, we are going to be here until we're not. We, we don't know how long we're going to be. Another, another young couple that we just sent out not too long ago, uh, they're in Southeast Asia in a different place, and they said, we're going to be here for at least two years. And, and, and other people, we, we, sent, uh, we sent one team out a couple weeks ago for the summer. Uh, another, another team of college students, they're going out Wednesday, so you can continue to pray for them. But, but again, the question is, why do we do this? Because I, I remember Stan, Stan and I, um, early on, that, that first Christmas break, some of you were here. Uh, some of you were were a part of our church at the time, meeting at Stony Creek Inn, and we got an opportunity to, to send a, a group of, of our people, which everybody, um, I mean, each person had a lot to do in the life of our church because we were very young and very very small, and I can remember that that first Christmas break, all of our students went home. That team of people who were extremely important in our church, they left, and it was kind of like we might have just killed our church, <laughs> like, uh, meeting together, and uh, like, I don't know, maybe there was 10 people there counting our kids, but uh, it, was, it was crazy, but again, the question is, why do we, why do, we do that? Why do we want to be about that? Why do we want to why do we continue to, to figure out, how do we raise people up? How do we not just make them comfortable? Because, you know, potlucks are great, which I love potlucks, but, you know, it's not all about comfort, Stan, right? Amen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, So that's why I wanted to go to the park because I just want to be more godly. But anyway, I guess, (laughs) I guess we're not about that here at Anthem Church. Um, But no, it's more than just being comfortable. And and the question though is why why do we want to be about that? Why as a church, very early, do we want this to be part of our DNA? That whole idea of being just as concerned with sending. as we are are with seeding? Why why do we want to do that? And here, I'll give you the answer right right from the beginning because we're going to see it in the passages we're looking at today. We want to be about missions because Jesus was about missions. We want to be about missions because Jesus calls us to be on mission. That's that's what we see in Luke chapter 4. So uh, if you're there, again, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. But um, I'll read it for you. If, maybe you can look off uh, somebody, somebody around you if you don't have a Bible with you. But Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Okay, let's just, let's just stop there and invite you to just pray with me. God, as we look at this passage, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to comprehend. I pray that you would be with my words, that they would be your words. And God, I just, I just ask that you would be glorified here in this place. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's just look at a little bit of the context, okay? What, what we see here is Jesus is going back to his hometown. This is the very beginning of his ministry on earth. The very beginning, uh, earlier on, just uh, one chapter earlier, we see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. We see John the Baptist baptizing people, and Jesus gets baptized. And it says in the end of chapter 3 that as as he comes up out of the water being baptized, we see the the, the heavens were parted, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove. And God spoke from heaven, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus, right from that point, he goes from the river, seemingly from the river to the wilderness, and he spends 40 days being tempted by the enemy, he spends 40 days being tempted by Satan, but he is a better Adam, and he does not fall into temptation, he does not sin in in the midst of all of that temptation, he goes out of the wilderness by the power of the Holy Spirit and starts doing some amazing ministry. People are being healed, and he's, he's, he's preaching about the kingdom, and he hasn't, he hasn't called his disciples yet, but it seems like he's go, he, he goes back to his hometown, and he's, he's starting off, he's kicking off his ministry with a hometown tour, it seems like. And, and as was his custom, as it says, it's the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue, which was the Jewish church, at the time, and, and they hand him the scroll. It's like, well, Jesus is here. He's the guest speaker. Let's just let him, you know. I mean, like if Jesus came this morning, it's like, who's, who's preaching? Not me. Jesus. We'll let Jesus preach this morning, right? I'll give him the headset, right? And, and that's what happened. They, they handed him the scroll because they, they were kind of on this rotation of what scripture they would, they would read that Sunday. And they handed it to him. He unrolled it. And he reads from the, the place that was the, the scripture for that day, which is Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is this prophecy about the Messiah, the sent one of God, the one who would, who would be anointed. And Jesus, Jesus reads this, and, and he reads, I mean, look at what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And, and again, this is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he's, he's saying, look, that's, that's what happened. He has anointed me. That's what we see in his baptism. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. God spoke about him at his baptism. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what he's, what he's talking about as he's quoting Isaiah, and, and, and he rolls it up and he hands it back and he sits down because that's what they did. They stood up to read. They sat down to preach. And as he hands it back, he said, everybody's, everybody's eyes are glued on him. And everybody is thinking, what's he, what's he gonna say next? What's, what's gonna happen next? And he says, today, today the scripture has been fulfilled and you're here. And what's he saying? He's saying, look, the, the year that you've been waiting for, the, all the, the, the recovery of sight, the, the releasing of captives, all these, all these different things you've been waiting for, I'm here. I mean, the, what, what Isaiah is proclaiming, what Isaiah is talking about, the year of the Lord's favor, we read in Leviticus 25, this was, um, when when God gave the law to Moses, part of the law was, he says, hey, when you get into the promised land, work the land for six years, and every seventh year, let the let the land rest. It's a Sabbath for the land. And then every 50th year, that's the year of Jubilee. That's the year of the Lord's favor. And, and every, every 50th year, that 50th year, everything would kind of be set back to, to right. People who, who maybe lost their land because of hardship, they got their land restored to them. People who were, were in great debt, their debts were forgiven. People who had to sell themselves into slavery, they were given their freedom. It was almost like everything that, that had gone wrong within those 50 years, there's a, there's a year where it's like, okay, we're putting everything right. And Isaiah is talking about the, the year of jubilee that goes beyond all years of jubilee. The, the year of the Lord's favor when, when, when the Messiah would come, he would begin to make things right. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. This, is, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I love, what it, I love how, how um, Luke records their response. It says, everybody spoke well of them. Everybody marveled at, his, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, "Is not this Joseph's son. They're, they're speaking well of him. And I think when we read scripture, sometimes we read it with this subdued familiarity. And it, it, like in, in my mind, it's like we, you know, speaking well of him. It's like, ooh, that was good. I, I like how he said that. You know, it's like you know, you're leaning over to your neighbor. Oh, I like that illustration. You know, the, the, the speaking well of him. But I, do, I don't think that was the attitude. I mean, Jesus just said that what the prophet Isaiah said has been fulfilled in your hearing. I think it was probably more like the Oprah show. And like if you were in, I always thought, what if I was in the crowd when she starts saying, everybody look under your chair and you have a $5,000. I think I would not be like speaking well of what she's saying, right? I'd be like, oh, I really appreciate $5,000, but I'd be like, what? No way, you know, like, whoa, and, you know, dancing. Like, you know, I, you know, it would be like a celebration, right? You guys following me? And Maybe you would just be like, oh, yeah, that's, I always appreciate it when somebody gives me $5,000. No, this is a celebration. They're speaking well of him. This is, this is amazing. And they say, this is Joseph's son. And I think what they're saying is, like, I know him. My kids grew up with him. Like, I, he lived down the street from me. This is our hometown hero. Like, I, I, I know him. And, and then they, he, But he doesn't stop there. He could have, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He continues to, to go in verse 23. It says, and he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian." When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. All right, can we just stop for a second and just recognize the huge range of emotions that are happening in this passage? I mean, you, you go from, from at one point, Everybody's speaking well of him, everybody marveling at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth, and they're saying, This is Joseph's son. That that's happening one one moment. And then and then just a few verses later, they want to kill him. I mean they they want to they drive him out of the city and they want to throw him off a cliff. I mean, how how long do you think we're like how long do you think we're between these two emotions? I mean, depending on how slow Jesus talked, maybe like five minutes? Like, can you imagine, can you imagine going from like, oh, this is awesome, this is amazing, he's fulfilled it, that's great, to like, oh, I want to, you know, like, I just, just a range of emotions. Like, w- driving him out of the synagogue, pushing him to the, le- to, to, the, to the edge of this cliff, wanting to throw him down. Like, that's crazy, that's a huge swing. Can we just all admit that? Maybe you're like, no, that seems about right. You might need to talk to somebody, right? <laughs> and I think in order to understand these these two emotions, these two responses, we need to better understand what happens in between. We need to, we need to better understand what happens in, in 23 through 27. Because first of all, what we see is Jesus is saying, he's saying, you, you like that, you like what I just said, but he says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. I what I've heard people say about that, that passage a lot of time, and I think that there's it's not I think there's some truth to it, but lots of times what what people will say is they say, well, don't don't go back to your hometown. If you want to do work for God, don't you can't do it in your hometown. Like for me, I grew up in Brashear, Missouri. You know, people have from a big family, everybody knows everybody else's business. And it's like, okay, Luke, if you want to minister, don't go back to Bashir, because you will be without honor in Bashir. I don't think that's what Jesus is necessarily saying. I think what he's saying is he's saying, look, I just told you that I'm here. I just told you that I am the Messiah, that I am the sent one of God. And you, you have thoughts about what that means. You want to define what it means for me to be sent to you. You want to define what it means for me to fulfill prophecy for you. You want to say, okay, oh, that's awesome. This is what this means for me. And this is going to look this way. And I I believe what he's saying is he's saying, no, it's not going to look like that. And I don't think you're going to like what I have to say. Because if you think that the gospel is to make you comfortable, then you're going to be very upset when you realize the true purpose of it. Right? I think I think that's what he's saying. And and to, to define what it means to be sent, to define what it means for, for him to be the sent one to these people, he uses two examples. The the first example he uses is is Elijah. Right? And now who can tell me who can tell me who Elijah was? Anybody? Anybody have any guesses? Oh, I thought somebody raised a hand. Anybody? Yeah. Prophet in the Old Testament, right? Right. Elijah was, I mean, he was awesome. If you read 1 Kings, like, what God did through him was amazing. I mean, he, he, he did, like, some superpower, like, superhero stuff that would be, like, in Avengers now today. Like, he did some amazing things, and he would have been a guy that, like, he was a sent one of God. He was, he was a man anointed with the Holy Spirit doing some amazing things. You can read about it in 1 Kings. He did some some amazing things, and he was kind of one of the the heroes in the Jewish faith, one of the heroes for the Israelites. And Jesus uses this example, and he says, you guys know Elijah? You know the stories about Elijah? You know who Elijah was? He says, in the time of Elijah, there were plenty of widows when there was this huge drought and this famine. But he says, Elijah, this sent one of God, was not sent to any of them but he was sent to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. See, this, this region of, of Zarephath in the, in the land of Sidon, this was, a, this was a place that was outside of Israel. This was a place that was outside of the Jewish context. These were, this was a woman who, who didn't look like them, who didn't talk like them, who didn't believe like them. And he's saying, here's a sent one of God, but you, let me tell you where she was sent, and let me define for you what it meant for him to be sent. It meant for him to be sent beyond the borders of Israel. For him to be sent didn't mean for him to just be comfortable, didn't mean for him to just minister to people who look like him, but it meant for him to, to be sent outside. And, and if, that's, if that doesn't If that doesn't add some definition to it, he he takes it a step further, and he uses another example. He uses Elisha. Now, Elijah, Elisha, these guys sound a lot the same, right? Elisha was the understudy of Elijah, which I think it's super um, helpful that J comes before Sh. That's how I remember that. Uh, Elijah was in 1 Kings, Elisha was in 2 Kings. And Elisha, again, he was a prophet of God. He was a sent one of God. He, he was a guy who, when Elijah was, Elijah was taken up into heaven, he didn't even die, which is, again, crazy. But when Elijah was taken up into heaven, Elisha says, hey, give me a, give me a double portion of your spirit. Give me a double portion of the anointing of God that's upon you. And Elijah is like, sure. Sure. I mean, crazy, right? Like, who would even ask that, and then for that to be given? But we see that in 2 Kings, and so what we know about Elisha was that he was a man who was doubly sent, if that's even a thing, which it is, because it's in 2 Kings, but he, he was given a double portion of the Spirit of God. And so he did, he did some amazing things through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, through the anointing of God, through being sent by God. And what does he say about Elisha? Verse 27, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Who can tell me a little bit about Naaman. Do you guys remember Naaman? He had leprosy, right? You just got that from this passage. But good, nice way to be observant, right? Naaman, he was was a general in the uh, Syrian army. The Syrians, they were people who were oppressors of Israel. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember who um, told Naaman about Elisha? Do you guys remember? A slave girl, a Jewish slave girl. So isn't it interesting to me, I I think it's interesting to me, it's interesting to me that that this slave girl, Naaman, he gets this leprosy, he's this incredibly powerful general, he gets leprosy, and this slave girl, this Jewish slave girl says, I know who you should talk to, you should go talk to this prophet Elisha. And Elisha heals Naaman. I mean, you can read the rest of the story again in in 2 Kings. But the point is... What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, nobody else was healed in the time of Elisha, only this person who was an oppressor of Israel. That's who this sent one of God was sent to. And when the people heard this, when the people heard that the sent ones of God were being sent to people that they didn't think should be sent to, they, they didn't think that the oppressors of Israel, are you telling me that those who oppress Israel are being blessed? Are, are you telling me that, that to be sent means that we're going to have to go outside of our context, to go outside of our comfort? Are, is that what you're telling me? And when, when they heard this, their response was not to say, oh, yeah, that sounds good. But their response was to say, like, oh, I hate this. And drive them out and, and, and just stop his words in their ears no matter, no matter what way. And they, they take them out and they want to throw them down because what they're hearing when, when Jesus said, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, what they hear is that they hear, we want, we want a, we want a, a God who is like a a cultural genie, right? Aladdin, right? Mr. Aladdin, sir. Like uh, we, we want, we want a, we want a God who we can just rub the lamp and, and he just comes out and he just makes, makes everything okay for us. When, when When Jesus was reading from Isaiah, which again was a prophecy about the Messiah, what they heard was, I have come, I've been anointed by God to proclaim good news to the poor of Israel. To to proclaim liberty to the captives of Israel. To restore sight to the blind of Israel. To set the oppressed of Israel free. To to usher in this period of time where all things will be set right for Israel. That's what they heard. They heard. And yet what Jesus is saying is he's saying, yes, the message is for you. Yes, I have come to save you. Yes, I have come to set you free. Yes, by my blood, you get to have relationship with God. Your sins will be covered. Yes, that is true. But he's saying your salvation was never meant to stop with you. Right? You, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus came, came to you from somewhere and is going through you to somewhere. Right? I mean, you guys understand that, right? Like, like God wasn't up in heaven in 1998 when I was at a church camp and, and God just got a hold of me and he wasn't up in heaven saying, whew, I'm glad I did all that work with Jesus way back when because finally I can just rest because finally Luke is, is in. Right. It, was, that's not, like, it wasn't like everything stopped when I received Christ. Right? You see, what, what Jesus is saying as he defines what it means to be sent, is he's saying, look, I, I have come to save you, but your salvation doesn't stop with you. And, and we, may, we, may, we may say, okay, but what's the, what's the application for us today? Like these people, they obviously responded poorly. It's not a good response to try and throw somebody off a cliff. That's usually frowned upon. And, and maybe, maybe you're like, yeah, but if Jesus came here today and he said some things that I didn't like to hear, I wouldn't try and kill him. That, that would be, I know better than that. But at the same time, like these, these people that were listening to Jesus in this culture, in this context, they had a very me-centered understanding of what God was supposed to do for them. Didn't they? That's why they responded the way they did. Saying, so you're telling me that you're going to bless those who oppress us? You're telling me that this isn't just for us in America? You're telling me that this isn't just for us? You see, they had a very me-centered view of who God is, and I believe that we can look at us and see that we have a very me-centered. Well, first of all, we live in a very me-centered culture, don't we? We live in a very me-centered culture. Oftentimes, we make decisions on, on where we're going to live just based solely on how much money can we make or, or what kind of house can I have or what, what kind of car can I drive. We, we think about jobs not in terms of, of effectiveness or strategic nature or what, what would God have for us, but we just look at like how can I get the American dream? That's the, that's the culture we live in. That's the air we breathe. That's the water we swim in. We don't even realize it most of the time. Every commercial we watch... Is, is playing off of this me-centered idea of, of we deserve a new phone. No, you don't. I don't, I, don't know where, I don't know where that comes from, but we don't, right? But see, we, we let that me-centered, without even realizing most of the time, we let this me-centered culture seep into our faith in Christ. Because most of the time, our decisions as Christians don't look any different than people who don't claim to know who God is. We make the same decisions about where we should move as, as people who don't know God. Most of the time. We make the same decisions. We, 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 we play off of the same data when we think about what job should I have. So what, what kind of paycheck do I want? What kind of house? All, all these different things. You see, we have a me-centered focus when it comes to our Christianity. And what Jesus is doing is he is showing these people in this, in this story, in this in this context, he's saying, let me show you what it means to be sent. And he even goes on in John 20, 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's saying, this is what it means. It, it means going outside of your circle. It, it means, like uh, I was talking to Scott Gutwine this past week, and his daughter is on one of the teams who's in, in Southeast Asia, and they were going to uh, go on one of the college campuses there next to him. And he was saying how they looked up the campus, and, and there's one campus close to him with 20,000 students, one campus close to him with 30,000 students. And statistically speaking, there are about 90% of the students on each of those campuses that have never heard the name of Jesus, 90%. You know, and, and we hear numbers like that. We, we hear numbers about the, the fact that there are over 7 billion people in the world today, and there are around 2.5, 2.7 billion of those people who are living in places where the gospel has not yet come to. There, there are so many, there are millions of people living in places where they haven't rejected the gospel. They haven't even heard it. They haven't even heard of the name of Jesus. They haven't heard about the hope that that he has for us. And what what God says here, what Jesus says here is, as the Father has sent me, and here's how I define that. Being sent by God means going outside of your context. Being sent by God means going and and loving people who may be oppressors of you. Being sent by God means going outside where where maybe it's not comfortable. Maybe, Maybe it is scary. Maybe people are going to say things about you. Maybe, maybe all of these different things, maybe your worst nightmares are going to come true. But, but being sent, being saved by God means being sent by God. J.D. Greer in, in that book I was telling you about earlier, uh, Gaining by Losing, he says it this way. To be a Christian means we are either on mission or we are disobedient. That's hard, isn't it? And, and maybe for you, even as I say that, I have a little bit of a reaction to where I can understand where this crowd comes from. To to say that again, he says to be a Christian means we are either on mission or we are disobedient. And there's a part of me that says, I don't like that. <laughs> right? I don't like that. I don't I don't I don't want to be told I, I love comfort. You know, there's this piece of me that wants to rebel against that. And yet when we say, Lord, we are saying, you, you make the calls. You send me where you want me. Uh, Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he kind of calls out the, uh, the discrepancy or the, the tension between saying no and saying, Lord. He says this, why do you call me Lord? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to a big group of people. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you. See, what he's saying there is he's saying, when you understand what it means to be a Christian, when you understand what it means to be in relationship with God, when you understand that to be saved by God means to be put on mission by God, when you understand that the gospel has come to you from somewhere and is going through you to somewhere, and that Jesus being sent means that, that he was going outside and he says, as a Father has sent me, I am sending you, When you understand all that, you you can't say, no, Lord. That's an oxymoron. You can either respond by saying, no, you're not my Lord. Or you can respond by saying, yes, Lord. But you can't say, no, Lord. Because Lord means you have control. Do you hear that? See, that's why we do what we do. That's why we want to be about it, because we don't have all the answers. Like, Stan and I, we we do not have the answers. But but praise God, we serve one who does, right? And we don't know what it's going to necessarily look like to raise people up and send them out, but we want to. We want that to be part of the DNA of this church. We want want that to be part of what we do and and what we're about. We don't want to just be comfortable. We don't want to be more about our seating capacity than our sending capacity. We don't want that. And we don't have all the answers. But we we are going to pursue that. My prayer for us, each and every one of you in here, is that you would say, yes, Lord. Some of you maybe for the very first time, Maybe for you, it's, you, you need to say yes, Lord, and confess your sins, and you need to, you need to turn from those lifestyle, that, that lifestyle that you've been living, that, that just leads you further away from God, that leads you further into brokenness. You need to say, yes, Lord, I confess, and I want you more than all of these things. But but for those of you who would say, well, I did that a long time ago, I did that, maybe for you, you need to say, yes, Lord, wherever you would have me go, whatever you would have me do, whenever you would have me do it, I am open-handed to you. And maybe for you, that doesn't mean that you're going to buy a plane ticket to Southeast Asia. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I heard somebody say one time, well, I'm I'm willing to go, but obviously I'm planning to stay. What happens if we just flip that around? I'm planning to go, but I'm willing to stay. I'm willing to do whatever God would have me do. I'm willing to go to my neighbors, or I'm willing to go to Southeast Asia. I'm willing, God. What, you, what would you have me do? See, we want to be about missions because Jesus is. My prayer for you this morning, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you haven't wrestled with that, that you would this morning that you would take a look at what it means for Jesus to be sent and what it means for him to say, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What we're going to do now as we, as we think about that, as we process that, we're going to respond with communion this morning. This is what we do at Anthem. We, we respond with communion. There, there are tables set up around the room, gluten-free up here in the front if you need that. But the band's gonna come up and they're gonna play and, 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 and this is, is for those who, who would confess their faith in Christ. Because what communion represents, it represents the sacrifice of Jesus. There's bread at these tables and, and what you're gonna do when you go to the table, you're gonna break off a piece of bread which represents the body of Jesus which was broken for you on the cross. And you're gonna dip it in, in the cup of juice which represents his blood which was poured out for you and as you do this, as you go to these tables, my prayer for you is that you would wrestle with this question, what does it mean for you to say, yes, Lord? Because if you're in a place where you're still saying, no, Lord, that's, that's an oxymoron. You need to understand that. You need to, you need to come to grips with that. And, and I, would, I would challenge you, I would encourage you, don't go to the table just because that's what we do on Sunday mornings. Don't go up and take communion just because, well, it's, it's that time in the morning. This is what we do. Don't go there if you're still wrestling with whether or not he is truly Lord of your life. But go with an openness and, and an understanding saying, God, I don't know what it means for me to say Yes. But here's my yes. I'm going to put it out there, and I'm going to let you do with it what you will. And as we take that body, and as we take that blood, which the, the bread and the, and the cup represents, let's say yes, Lord, as a church. Amen? And let's see what God can do with a group of people who live their lives saying yes, Lord. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I praise you that uh, we don't have to wonder about what it means to be sent but you define it. And God I pray this morning as as we look at your word I pray God that there would be there would be places in each of our lives that you would that you would be challenging God if there are people in here who don't know you yet God I pray that they would say yes Lord I want you to be my savior. And if there are people in here who who are who are struggling with what it means to say, yes, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give them faith to trust you, to trust that when we say yes, you are going to do amazing things with that yes. That just like Naaman with Elisha, Naaman, when he was healed with from his leprosy, he proclaimed that there is only God in Israel, that there is no other God that can save like this. And God, I pray that as we say yes to you, and as we go out into Columbia, and as we go out into Missouri, and as we go out into to the United States, and as we go around the world as saying, yes, Lord, that people would see us and experience you and come to that same conclusion that there is no other God that can save in this way. God, help us. Help us to say yes. As we go to this table, God, I pray that you would just maybe point out any any areas where we're still saying no. God, reveal yourself to us. We praise you, and we thank you. It's in your name. Amen.